In the early 1980s in San Francisco, Chris Gardner had big dreams, but he could barely earn enough to keep a roof over his head and that of his young family. None of his money-making schemes were working out, and the only steady income that was being produced was actually from his wife, who was working double shifts as a hotel maid. One day she reached her breaking point, and she told Chris she was leaving. She was leaving him and their young son uh, behind. Now, we wouldn't know Chris's story if it weren't for the portrayal by Will Smith in the 2006 blockbuster, The Pursuit of Happiness. There we see Gardner's struggle as he and his son faced homelessness after being evicted from their apartment. They had no place to go. Eventually, Gardner would land a job as an intern at a prestigious brokerage firm, but the position paid no money. The Gardners lived in homeless shelters and endured many hardships, uh, but Chris refused to give in to despair. He continued to struggle uh, to create a better life for himself and his son. It's a powerful story of great determination to achieve success and happiness And if you think about it, this morning, our circumstances and our stories may be different, but each of us are on a similar path, aren't we? In fact, I would say most of us are on a desperate quest for happiness. Our culture that we live in is on a relentless pursuit for happiness. Earlier this week, I typed in, how can I be happy into Google, just curious, It produced five and a half billion, yes, that's with a B, results. There were quizzes on happiness. Uh, There were uh, countless articles on the science of happiness. And there were endless entries on 10 steps on how I would be able to find uh, happiness. And it just made me think, if there's that much information out there on happiness, you'd think we would have found it by now, right? John Barnes of Bermuda, he was known as Mr. Happy. Uh, Prior to his death in 2016, uh, for decades he spent a good part of every workday, rain or shine, starting at 4 a.m. at a key intersection uh, that was leading into the capital city of Hamilton. And he would stand there and smile and wave. His goal, to make people happy. He told them often as he would wave, I love you, or God loves you. He he just had this famous, enthusiastic smile that he carried with him. Well, one time he was asked why he did it, and he replied, I enjoy making people happy. I like to let them know that life is sweet, that it is good to be alive. On the other side of the world, there's a woman by the name of Amma. She was born in a poor fishing village in Kerala, and she was raised as a Hindu where it was frowned upon for women uh, to touch others. But now she's known affectionately as the hugging saint. She gives hugs to total strangers in order to bring them happiness. As strange as it sounds, more than 33 million people, from poor villagers in India to orphans in Kenya to musicians like Sting and actresses like Sharon Stone have waited in line for hours on end 
to get a hug from Amma. Listen, we are all desperately searching for something that will fill us, for something that will satisfy us and make us feel whole. We chase it in our bank accounts. We chase it in marriage and family. We chase it in athletics or relationships or accomplishments, longing for whatever will fill that void deep down inside of us, chasing after whatever might bring me pleasure or happiness, running for the next high, or trying to squeeze whatever we can from the culture around us that will just put a smile on our face. And I don't stand up here this morning in any way to condemn happiness. Happiness isn't a bad thing, right? We all want it. It's not bad to pursue happiness. It's great to smile and to live life with gusto. But can you admit with me that our happiness is gone in a second? I mean, seemingly we have it, right? And then in the next moment, it's gone. That phone call comes in. And all of a sudden, your countenance has changed. Or maybe it was a text that made your heart sink. Could have been a communication from an ex-spouse that was just rife with anger. Or maybe it's a continued health struggle that a friend or a family member is battling. Maybe it's been a recent health diagnosis, and the future all of a sudden looks bleak. Maybe you received an email from a boss And there's changes on the horizon. Maybe it's a broken relationship or a wayward child or another sleepless night. Your happiness, gone in a moment. Happiness is fragile, isn't it? Well, there's something available that's different than happiness. It it may seem or even have a similar definition, but joy is different. Biblical joy is not fragile at all. You you can smash it against whatever the world will throw at it, and it will not break. Because biblical joy is deeper. It can't be repressed by life circumstances. Joy can anchor us and steady us because it's rooted in the promises of God. C.S. Lewis in Surprised by Joy writes, Joy must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Joy has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them, the fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. But then joy is never in our power However, pleasure often is. Have you found joy this morning? Do you live with joy? I'm not talking about that temporary situational happiness when you've had a great meal or someone's given you a great compliment or some situation worked out the way you wanted it to. Do you have joy? Would other people look at you and say, yeah, you're a person of joy, It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Listen, joy is to be the hallmark of the church. Joy is the sweet aroma of the follower of Christ. And here in Advent, we've lit the third candle. It's the only candle that's pink. It's the joy candle. Why? Because joy is the flavor of Christmas. 
When the angels even announced the coming of Messiah, what did they proclaim? Good news of a great joy. Scripture contains more than 2,700 passages that contain words like joy, happiness, gladness, pleasure, celebration, cheer, laughter, delight, jubilation, feasting, blessing, exaltation. Why? Because our joy matters to our God. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the Psalms. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning. We'll be in Psalm chapter 16, looking at the second half of that Psalm, starting in verse 6. The psalmist says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my, also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our Father, we read these words from Scripture, and something in our hearts cries out, yes, yes, that is what we want. That is what we long for. And Father, I believe with everything in me that you have a message for your people today. For those that have gathered here, those that have joined us online, a, a message of joy that is available, that literally changes our hearts our lives, changes the very trajectory of this journey that we are on called life. And so, Father, as always, we come uh, to your word this morning, uh, not just seeking information. Father, we're seeking transformation to be made more in the image and likeness of your son, Jesus Christ, who with his arrival has ushered in joy. So, Holy Spirit, I'd ask you to do what only you can do this morning, move in the hearts and lives of your people. Awaken us to see spiritually. With spiritual eyes, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's start this morning with a, a simple understanding of joy. What is joy? Joy, I would say, is an inner delight that is immovable by external circumstances. It's this inner delight that is available to us that is immovable by the things this world throws at us. It's not happiness that is based on external circumstances. No, joy is found deep within. I would say to you, joy is the constant command, companion uh, of the Christ follower, those that are trusting uh, Jesus as Lord. And, and while you can find joy in friends and family, certainly in circumstances, I'll tell you, unfailing, persistent joy is only ever found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, it's an overflow of your relationship with Jesus. Remember Job, who had all of his worldly possessions, all of his family, everything that he loved and cherished stripped away. He lost everything, yet somehow was able to cling to joy in a time of great sorrow and loss. 
Remember Paul in chains in, in, in a dungeon, a prison far worse than any of us could imagine. And what do we find him? We find him there singing. And then another time in a similar circumstance, he's writing a book. We know it is Philippians, all about joy from prison. Remember the Jews in the concentration camps, as they were being marched to uh, the gas chambers, what were they doing? Many of them singing hymns of joy on their way to be executed. Let's take a deeper look at joy this morning. The first thing we see is this, the gift of joy. The gift of joy is Jesus One of the things that separates Christianity from all of the other religions of the world is that we have a personal Savior. Not some distant God, but a God who has come close. In fact, when all the other religions of the world lay out the things that you must do in order to please their God, to get near to their God, uh, work your way towards God, here in Christianity we have a God who says, I understand you have no way to get to me. You've got nothing in and of yourself that you are able to do to come towards me. That chasm of sin is far too wide. My holiness is too high, yet I'm not going to abandon you in hopelessness. In fact, since you can't get to me, I will come to you. See, God sent Jesus from the throne of heaven to put on human flesh and to come be like us and live among us. That's the beauty of the incarnation. That's what we celebrate in this season we know as Advent. This gift was given, a gift of joy in a tiny little package. A baby born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, God's one and only son. And he has a personal name, Jesus. He certainly knows us, and we can know him. Can you imagine with me what it was like to hear Jesus say your name, his inflection, his tone, his Galilean accent? It rang out from around the tomb early that Sunday morning, Mary. Now, she had come to find the lifeless body of the one she had grown to love and follow, but he wasn't there at least until she heard her name, Mary. When she heard that voice, she certainly knew the source. She turned to him immediately and said, Rabboni. It was another follower of Jesus who heard his name. It wasn't even because he was listening or looking. In fact, it was his head that was hung in shame after he denied Jesus, not once but three times. What a failure, he must have thought to himself. Later he finds himself distracted by fishing, but then he hears it. Not his name, but the voice. He would know that voice anywhere. And he strips off all of his clothing and he jumps in and he swims to shore. And then he hears his name, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Jesus asks him. Have you heard Jesus' voice? Have you heard him call your name? I think he often calls us in our lowest moments in order to prove this promise from Psalm 30, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, 
and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but what? Joy. Joy comes in the morning. Joy comes because Jesus comes. If we don't recognize His face, make no mistake, He will certainly call your name. Isaiah paints such a beautiful picture of our personal Jesus when he writes, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Max Lucado says of this verse, Your name is not buried in some heavenly file. God needs no name tag to jog his memory about you. Your name is tattooed, engraved on his hand. He has more thoughts about you than the Pacific coast has grains of sand. You are everything to God. Do you find this hard to believe this morning? You think I'm talking to someone else? Someone who's holier, more cleaned up, has it a bit more together than you do? I'm not talking directly to you this morning. The greatest news that you could hear is not that God made the world, but that God loves the world, and that includes you. And you'll certainly have to embrace the reality that you can't earn His love. You don't deserve His love, but you also can't lose His love, no matter how many times you blow it. Do you realize this morning you have never lived one unloved day? You have a Savior who loves you. That's the good news of the gospel. That's Jesus Jesus, our personal Savior, brings joy. Did you see this morning in our, in our text how much joy the psalmist finds simply in who God is? He finds joy in God's nature, in His character, in His provision, His promises. He, he just lists on and on. If you'll look with me over at another psalm, how the psalmist rejoices from Psalm 103 from the message paraphrase. He writes, God is sheer mercy and grace. Not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as the heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. And as far as sunrise is from sunset, he has separated us from our sins. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear Him. God loves you. Can you sit in that love this morning? He loves you, and because He loves you, joy has come, and yet joy will also come. So we live in the tension of the here and now and also the not yet. God has given us His Son who certainly has ushered in joy, yet we also long for and even creation groans for the day when He returns and that joy will be made perfect and full and complete. It'll be made perfect in us. It'll be made perfect in His creation the second thing we see this morning is the grapple for joy, and this is our calling. In this back half of our text this morning, we see the psalmist reassure himself through the promises of God that God's got him. He doesn't have to fear. Why? Because he will be preserved. He won't be shaken. His soul will not be abandoned. 
But do you see here that it's a fight for joy? There's a grappling going on, and the psalmist is fighting for joy by remembering he is called. He is secure. Where do you feel secure? Where do you find your safety? You know, your heart will always reveal the answer. It's not always money. Sometimes it's in your ability to just make your life work the way you want it to. It could be your kids. It could be other relationships. It could be in your home, your past successes, your talents. Here's what I know. You make deposits there all the time. But I'll also tell you the world's making huge withdrawals all the time as well. But it's in those treasures of your heart where you're trying to find happiness and joy Why? Because your treasure and your heart are connected. And so I'd ask you this morning, do you think you can find joy without Jesus? Can you find security and safety outside of Him? Are you trying to find uh, happiness and joy and circumstances in some of the temporal pleasures and treasures of this world? On the heels of the COVID pandemic, the Barna Research Group did an extensive study on the effects of COVID in all of our lives. And what they looked at particularly was the effect of COVID on our mental and emotional well-being in many different areas that they surveyed. So they asked questions about social life, about missing major events and milestones, about work and family, and overall emotional well-being. And as you can imagine, every group um, showed a major decline in all of those areas except for one group. Maybe it won't surprise you, but that one group that didn't report nearly the same decline were practicing Christians that continued in the life of the church. Christians were able to hold steady or in some cases even improve during a worldwide pandemic. Now that shouldn't shock us really, should it? Why? Because we as Christ followers know that our circumstances, circumstances even in this world around us, shouldn't steal our joy. No doubt, global pandemic or not, it is a fight though. We have to grapple for joy. But when we stay focused on our calling, when we lift our eyes away from everything around us and look to the hills from where our help comes... We can find joy. Remember what Jesus said about his calling? Hebrews 12, chapter 2, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus found joy through his calling. But make no mistake, that was a fight for joy, even for Jesus. What an incredibly difficult and painful road that he had to walk in order to find and fulfill his calling. But then he gives us the secret to grappling for our joy earlier in verse 1. We read, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now here we find some encouragement, right? Make no mistake, the road we run, the race we run is often difficult, but we have a cheering section. We've got those who have gone before us in the faith that are cheering us on. 
And he says, as you wage war against temptation and sin, as you fight and grapple for purity and holiness, letting go of the things that are holding you back, and then run. Run with your eyes on the prize. And you may hit that proverbial wall at mile 20 of your marathon, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because that's where your joy is found. When we see Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, He's our treasure. He's the prize. He's our great joy. You ever wonder why Jesus didn't just whoosh us up to heaven? After we came into a relationship with him, as after he rescued and re- redeemed our, our soul, if that's our destination, why leave us here? Because we have a calling. Jesus came to set you free on your calling and to follow in his calling. And I want you to know that's where your joy is found. When you understand the calling that God has placed on your life to follow in the calling of Jesus, there you will find joy. You will find no greater joy than walking like Jesus walked. You will find no greater joy than loving like Jesus loved. That's our calling, Christ follower, to minister to the hurting to love the unlovable around us, to be the salt and light that He has called us to be in our daily coming and going. It's honestly one of my favorite parts of what I get to do here, whether it was working with our middle school, high school, and college students, to now working with our entire faith uh, family to see people discover their joy by living out their calling, to see the light bulb of faith click on while understanding God's mission, or to see eyes being opened as you serve people that are so different than you, maybe just on the other side of our city, or to see a heart set on fire when serving God globally on the mission field. What a joy for me. And that joy is available to you. Can I just challenge you? Get in on God's mission. Find joy in living out your calling. Third, the goal of our joy. The goal of joy is what? Our restoration Remember Jesus when he entered into the temple in order to teach, he asked for a scroll to be handed to him and and he uh, uh, unrolled it. We have this account in Luke chapter 4, but Jesus is actually reading from the prophet uh, Isaiah and he was reading about himself and we read this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He set me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolls it up and he says, hey, that's me. This is all about me. And this is what I'm going to be about. And so what did Jesus do when he walked the earth? Well, he walked among the carnage and the brokenness of not just creation, but lives of people. But what did he do? He ushered in joy. He brought wholeness and healing and restoration, joy, followed wherever he went and whomever he touched. Because remember, he would touch people that no one else would touch. The lepers that had been outcast and abandoned, he touches them, heals them, brings wholeness, gives them joy, 
Remember with the woman with the issue of blood, a, a condition she had been dealing with for uh, 10 years, and I would imagine she had not only lost hope, but lost joy in life, and she reaches out and touches his garment, and Jesus heals her. She's restored to worship. She's restored to community. She's restored to fellowship. What joy she must have found. What about the demonic man? who was out of his mind, literally living in isolation in a cemetery, and Jesus restores his mind to him and his sanity to him, and he is changed. He's filled with joy. Then there was this crippled man, unable to walk, reliant on his uh, friends for everything, and they even bring him to Jesus. They lower him through the roof, and, and this man who couldn't walk is now uh, leaping and jumping with joy out of this home because he has been restored. What about the woman at the well? Cast out from culture because of her sexual choices? Jesus meets her there. He seeks her out. And he tells her everything she's ever done. Can you imagine the horror that was to hear? Can you put yourself in her shoes? Yet Jesus lovingly restores her. And she's so full of joy despite him saying, shh, keep it down. She goes running through the town. She can't wait to tell everyone that she can find who this man was who knew everything about her yet loved her. And changed her. Don't you love to see restoration? Not that long ago, Caroline introduced me to a show called Hometown. It's the life and work of the Napiers, a couple uh, working in Mississippi to transform and restore southern homes to what they once were. And I watch out of love for my wife. But then I guess out of the great success of that show came a spin-off, Hometown Takeover. Now, instead of just restoring a home here and there, uh, they are focused on restoring this small-town community in rural Alabama. But there's something amazing about watching Restoration. To see skilled carpenters take something that was dilapidated and broken and then restore it to all of its glory to make it new again, to see an entire community that was run down, restored to what it once was. That's why Jesus came. He came to do that to you. He came to restore your soul, your life in the master carpenter's hands. And what joy is found in that restoration of our lives to see our old decaying life be changed and brought to new life, to see our sin and shame disappear in the glory of His grace, to see addictions crumble and spiritual captivity be set free. That's what Jesus does because that's who Jesus is and that's why He came. You can be restored. You can be filled with joy. And one day He will restore us fully and finally, Pastor George Chin was arrested for the third time for preaching the gospel, and this time spent 18 years in a prison work camp in China. He was separated from his wife, his young child, and his church. When he was in prison, his wife died and his son was killed, but the cruel captors kept that news from him. 
One of his greatest hardships, he would tell, was that he had no privacy to worship or to pray, to read or memorize the Scripture because he was under constant surveillance. Frequently, he prayed that God would allow him a place of privacy so that he could enjoy fellowship with God. Well, soon the prison officials gave him a new assignment. They did it in order to break his spirit. They gave him one of the most difficult work assignments in the camp. They assigned him to the camp cesspool, the sewer pit that serves 60,000 prisoners. His assignments scoop out the human waste so it can be used as fertilizer. Because he worked in such a foul hole, none of the guards, though, would get anywhere near him. He worked completely alone. He then saw God's answer to his prayer. He could pray, sing, quote Scripture as loudly as he wanted. He began to thank God and rejoice. There was no one that could hear him except for his faithful God. His cesspool assignment lasted six years of his years in prison, and miraculously, he never contracted a disease from it. Years later, he went on to tell the story of God's faithfulness to him in prison. Standing before a large crowd, this small Chinese pastor began to sing the song that he used to sing in the prison sewer. I used to sing when I worked in the cesspool. It was in the garden. I come to the garden alone, while the dew is here on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God is closer. never have ever known such joy. I used it. Pastor Chin learned that the secret to rejoicing is not in perfect circumstances, but in a conscious awareness of the presence of Jesus. What did we read at the end of our text this morning? In His presence is fullness of joy. The cesspools of your life can become a garden with Jesus. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known.